Hi guys, I'm Matt Harris, host of the HMO Experience Property Podcast. And in this episode of the podcast, my co-host Jamie Medill chats with Sue Sims as part of our Experienced Investor Series. Now, Sue is a Birmingham-based property investor, having been inspired to start her property investing journey by her parents at the tender age of 21. Over the years, Sue's built up a substantial property portfolio comprising 42 owned properties, as well as running Genie Homes, which is a successful lettings agency based in Birmingham. Now, this conversation is a bit of a mixed bag and covers everything from how Sue got started in property, how she picked her investment area, choosing a property strategy, and the benefits of working with social housing providers when it comes to HMO properties. In addition, Sue also talks about her Birmingham-based networking event called Partners in Property, which brings together a community of like-minded property investors who are passionate about property investing. Now, this episode is packed full of nuggets and is definitely one for you to listen to if you're interested in building your own HMO property portfolio. Before you go, I want to make sure that you head over to the hmoexperience.co.uk website where you can download a bunch of free resources, including the 11 steps to building a successful HMO property business. And in addition, if you're listening to this on whatever podcast platform you're listening to, make sure you hit that subscribe button so that you get regular notifications as to when new episodes drop. And the last thing is make sure you rate and subscribe the HMO Experience Property Podcast as we want feedback from you guys to know how well we're doing or what we can improve on. That's it for me. Now let's head into the show. Hi guys, this is Jamie Medill, the host of the HMO Experience podcast. I'm delighted to uh, share this podcast today with someone I've known for many years but haven't actually met that often and uh, I'm really looking forward to having a chat and getting to know her better. And that is, of course, Sue Sims is my guest speaker today and um, uh, interviewee. So I'm really looking forward to getting into this. Now, um, I will just tell you quickly a bit of information about Sue and then we can, we can di dive into the, uh, the interview. Uh, Sue is a very experienced property investor and property professional. She has been in property for many years. We're going to uh, find out a bit more about that and her background and her experience. But she has a number of successful property businesses. She has Genie Homes. Uh, again, she can tell you more about that. Uh, she also has an investment arm of that business. And also she is the co-founder of Partners in Property. And then, again, I'm going to, just like you guys listening or watching this podcast, find out more about uh, Sue and her businesses as we go through this talk. So Sue, just want to say on behalf of myself and Steve and Matt, my co-host, it's really you know, great to, uh, for, for us to have you here today. And we've been looking to, forward to organizing this for a while and it's, uh, it's going to be fun. So how are you doing today? Yeah, good. Thank you for inviting me. I always like an opportunity to talk about HMOs, one of my favourite <laughs> things. HMOs, all things property. I mean, the great thing about you, uh, Sue, is you've got such a, a broad level of knowledge and experience in all things properties. So do you mind if I uh, ask how it all got started? How did you get into property in the first uh, place, please? Yeah, so I bought my first property more than 30 years ago, so it's like a long time ago now. And I was really fortunate because I... I grown up in a family where mum and dad had always invested in property only in a small okay. way um they got student properties back in the days sort of like the 70s so mm. before there was buy to let mortgages before there were interest only mortgages before there were hmo mortgages but without knowing it they they had hmos um then when i was 21 my dad found a shop with a flat over it and basically said to me sue i think you should go and buy that i think you should start investing in property um, and that was how it all started, really. Wow. And it's in your blood. Yeah, pr yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I think I am really fortunate. Definitely working for myself is in my blood um, mm. and being self-employed. Dad's, dad's been self-employed since he was 21. And I think okay. it was something, yeah, it's, it's just what we grew up with. That's fascinating. Um, where, whereabouts is, uh, is it? Uh, where did you grow up to? In Birmingham. Okay. And I'm really fortunate that that's where all of my properties are, barring two flats, which I own down in um, Stonehouse, just outside Stroud. Um, but everything else is close to home. Um, and that's one of the things. And 
when I think about it now, I'm really, really fortunate. Birmingham is such a great place to invest and it's where I've always been able to invest and it's right on my doorstep. Perfect. Sounds good. I mean, I'm just thinking about now that uh, about a million years ago when I was 21, uh, I would have loved to have that advice, you know, borne down on me by my, you know, my mum, for example. That would have been incredible. How did, I, I guess, is this something, is property investing something that, do you, do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have a sister. So we uh, have... Has this followed uh, into the business too, or investing too? Yeah, um, yeah, so my sister and I own 24 properties jointly. Um, wow. And that was like as a result of um, mum and dad passed over a couple of properties to us um, quite early on to take them out of the inheritance pot. And mm. then we remortgaged, refinanced, used that money, saved money and just sort of, like helped it to grow the portfolio. Um, but that really started when the market crashed 2007, 2008. That okay. was really the kickstarter for uh, me and my sister to start investing more, yeah. Wonderful, oh, that, well let, let's come back to that because uh, we could be at a pivotal point now in the UK economy where many people are thinking that we're in recession right now potentially, uh, albeit in name, and we could be going down for a correction. So we'll come definitely come back to that one. But uh, but 24 houses is pretty cool. Did that take you a long time to build up or, or did you uh, sort of really knuckle down in that uh, period of uncertainty, raise finance and, and go and buy. How did that all manifest itself? We did that quite slowly, bought two or three properties a year for a number of years. So Paula and I started to consolidate about two and a half years ago um, because we spent money on two Victorian semi-detached properties each next door to each other and each of them had been converted into five self-contained flats. Okay. And... The guy who owned them had just spent no money on them for about 30 years, so not in good condition. And our view of what we wanted to do with them was to convert them each into um, serviced accommodation apartments. And in my head, which hasn't worked out, it was just going to be quite easy that as a tenant moved out, we could yeah. then refund it, use it for serviced accommodation, which was fine. It happened well for the first one, and that was under refurb. And then I had somebody else hand in their notice. I thought, well, that's okay, because we're nearly at the end of this refurb. But mm. then within a month, we had three people give notice. Right. So we spent all of the money that we'd sort of like put to one side that would have been used for other stuff on those refurbs. And right. we're still really just coming back from that. And so what, what's the main what's the main sort of lesson you and your sister took from that because it, it seems to be you know quite a logical thing you you buy a property it's got some tenants already when somebody moves out you renovate the, the room or the house that, that part of the house or the flat and then you've got the income from the other rooms so what's the what was the major lesson that you both took from that <laughs> to don't ever assume that things are just <laughs> going to work out quite neatly <laughs> and it could happen sort of like one then another one and another one and just to think that yeah it can happen that it all happens at one time and that was a case of then that we were just having to get cash from wherever we could to yeah. make sure we could fund the refers because each one cost us about 20k that so all adds up it did it added <laughs> up um, and, yeah. and has that project now finished so you you through the yeah. other side now the refurb's all no, done no 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 it's not finished because we just haven't got the money to finish it but luckily fortunately we haven't had anybody else handing their notice so i haven't had to make that decision right. do i rent it or do i convert it yeah um, so we've we've converted four we've half done another one where a tenant left and we've done half of the work so it's made it into a nicer flat but it's still just rented out on an AST and then we've still got five of the original tenants. Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. Well, I guess this is really quite refreshing for, for people who listen, uh, or maybe even watching this podcast on YouTube that, you know, it doesn't matter when you started, doesn't matter how experienced you are, you're always learning and adapting to situations. You can't control everything in property or I guess in business anyway. So it's really refreshing for you to hear that. And I guess, what's your view on the, on the sort of maxim is, uh, which I've heard many people say, which is um, there's never a bad time to buy a property, you know, buy now. And, um, and no, actually, no, I've, got, I've completely mucked that up. Um, so one, of the, <laughs> one of my mentors years ago, uh, Mark Homer, um, said, uh, don't buy property and don't wait to buy property, buy property and then wait. 
um, I guess, uh, well, I'm really screwing that up. But you know what I mean? Have you heard that before? And, and uh, what's your view on, on uh, so some of these um, uh, tripe <laughs> quotes you see on social media? <laughs> well, I'm one of these people that would just say, if the numbers stack, by. And mm. at the end of the day, it purely and simply comes down to the numbers. So as far as I'm concerned, because I buy to hold, if the, say, I told you my phone would ring <laughs> and you wasn't going to get by without it. <laughs> I don't think anyone noticed, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, um, so I buy to hold. So for me, I, I'm not bothered. If I buy at the peak and then the market crashes, I'm going to hold it for long enough that it's going to go back up and increase above what the peak is that I've already bought it at. Mm. Um, so for me, so long as I can pay my mortgage, I'm not overly bothered. Um, whereas I think if you're more of a mentality that you're buying and you want to try to do that buy refurb refinance model, which I think is incredibly hard to make work these days, and you want to be pulling all of your money back out, mm. then I think it's a totally different situation. But if mm. you've got money sat in the bank at the minute that is earning you 0%, yeah. put your money into property because then it will earn you money. And if you hold it for long enough, you'll get capital growth. Yes. And to have money sitting in the bank at the moment, I just think every day it's sitting there earning nothing, it's devaluing because um, inflation is higher than zero. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's a great point. That's really good. Thank you for that. So um, with regards to uh, yourself and your sister, did you did you have a grand plan when you started buying together or has it been something that you just sort of carried on doing and uh, you, you've ended up with 24 houses? I mean, what was the, what was the sort of process of working together? Um, to keep my dad occupied. <laughs> okay. So dad, dad's retired. And yeah. dad's always had an interest in property, obviously, from what he, he had and sold. So my dad sold um, back before that, um, the 2007-2008 market crash because both my sister and I were in jobs and we didn't have the capacity to be able to take over mum okay. and dad's sort of five or six properties. So he sold them, put that money into stocks and shares. And obviously when the stock market crashed, he then pulled his money back out, lost a chunk of it, but then reinvested in property. Okay. And that was when really we set up much more than a sort of like a family um, investment. Although obviously everything is in sort of like my, mine and my sister's names, mum and dad were always involved. So every time then when we were buying a new property, it would give dad something that he would go and talk to the contractors. Mum and dad would probably go and deal with all the overgrown gardens all of that sort of stuff. So that was quite a driver at one time, although I think dad would probably hate it if he knows that's what I've said. Um, <laughs> but it, it was very much, it was like, it, it gave mum and dad something to do mm. as well. And of course they had a wealth of experience. They could add some value to you and your sister, um, yeah, which, is, which is, which sounds wonderful. It's like a true um, family business. I, I don't know if you've come across people like this. So I know I certainly have whereby someone wants to get into property um, or they're in property and yet they haven't necessarily got the support of their loved ones or people around them or they're not the other people around them aren't fully committed so it might be a, a partner husband wife brother sister whoever it might be parents yeah. and and their view is oh it's risky it's risky don't do that so you've come from a completely opposite background where you've had this whole upbringing with property have you, have you come across people who who haven't had that same sort of scenario or support yeah. that you've had yeah, absolutely. And I've mentored some of those people. And it's mm. a really interesting that we will go through what we need to in terms of learning about property, what you need to do before you buy your first property. But all the time behind that, it was like trying to say to them, okay, you need to get the buy-in of your partner. Yeah. You need to get them involved on some level. And it was always trying to sort of like find different ways that you could actually try to get somebody involved that's got no interest in property. Mm. Um, yeah, it's not easy, is it? No, but a lot of the time that started to work more by the time they'd bought their first property and had then got it rented and could see an income coming in, that was almost like the light bulb moments yeah. that can help sort of like somebody make that change of mindset. Yeah. 
So when when you came back to your your own portfolio, uh, Sue, in the early days, I think you mentioned you were working or you and your sister had a job. So uh, what were you doing then? And what was the sort of trigger if you were working full time to then come out of that to work in your property business? Okay, so I worked in, so I bought my first property more than 30 years ago and I didn't do anything else for another 16 years. So I, I worked in recruitment and stupid amounts of money and when I look back on it now I just think why 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 didn't I save my money and buy property Um, but then one of the people I was working with who was actually my boss at the time she and I started to buy property um, over a period of about eight years I think we bought six properties together oh wow so you you equally you put cash in together and you own them together yes yeah JB um, yeah, I've also, <laughs> this is the weird thing, is that I never really realised that what I do is JVing, because it yeah. never felt like JV, because obviously that was somebody who I knew, I also obviously JV'd with my sister, mm. I own another five properties with my best friend that mm. we own sort of like jointly, and I still own a property that I bought with an ex-partner. Right. So, um, he and I still get on, there's no issues, uh, and we just thought, well, there's no point in selling the property. It makes us money every month. So we've hung yeah. on to it. Um, so, yeah, it was only once I started going to sort of like network meetings and I started to get a bit more sort of like property education, a bit more savvy about mm. four years ago that I thought, oh, so what I've done for the last 12 years or so is I've been JVing without yeah. actually knowing that that's what I've been doing. Yeah, I love it. I love meeting people who are, again, very experienced in property. I was doing another um, interview uh, with a chap called David Clouter, who's just a lovely man, great man. And and uh, he was in exactly the same situation. He was going back a bit further. So in the 80s, uh, had his first HMO without realising what on earth an HMO was. Um, yeah. Again, did rent to HMO before that was even a training yeah. term. And all these things, lease options, purchase lease options, all these things that he was being, like you, very creative and building yeah. your property businesses or your investments without having a sort of training term uh, attached to it. I just think that's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So yeah. I just want to ask you about when you, again, when you were starting to work together with your sister, um what what were the sort of uh, typical properties you were buying what were they single lets or were you doing other investments at that stage too no so all of my properties that i ever bought up until about four years ago were all just straightforward buy to let family homes two three bedroom houses um because i didn't know there were any other options I've never done property education. I've never spent money on property education. So all I thought was the only way you can invest money is to invest money in buy to let. Yeah. Um, And so that was what we always did. Then I started going to network meetings and suddenly started getting all these terms coming at me. And I just thought, oh, okay. So there's lots of different ways that you can invest. There's different options other than just your straightforward buy to let. And then when section 24 came in because all of the properties that i own so altogether i own 42 properties so okay. across the board they're all owned in my own name or right. jointly with my business partner um so i we had to find a way to make those properties work harder because of the amount mm. of tax that we were spending and through my lettings business i'd been approached by a social housing provider to say You've got a property marketed on Rightmove. Would that landlord be prepared to lease the property to us? Right. So I, I knew that this was an option and I knew that was working quite successfully. So I approached them to say four of the properties that I was bought, because the one year I, I bought four properties that were all almost identical. So I approached the provider to say, would you be prepared to take these properties from me? And so that was almost like where we started. Okay. With, get involved with social housing i then converted some of the houses the family homes that my sister and i owned which were three bed family homes but they were big enough to create that fourth bedroom so i converted most got those leased and then once i knew that this was a business model that works really well i then started to talk to other investors about it um, either uh, landlords that were coming to us at Genie Homes to say they'd got a property or people who were contacting me through Facebook that wanted to invest in Birmingham or people that just heard me generally talking about social housing. 
and it that is something else that just works really well oh. um, do you mind if I unpick some of that a bit first before we go any further, please? Yeah, of course. <laughs> because th again, this is something, well, there's a number of things there, a number of threads there that I find fascinating. So you were in a situation where you were paying increasing amounts of tax uh, because of section 24, which was a, a policy change, a tax change, which meant because you're probably in your personal name, you would have to pay an increasing amount of, um, I guess, income tax on yeah. uh, the profits or rather the rental income of those. So your first thought was how do I make my properties work harder so that's when you converted some of your buy to let your single lets into like a four bed HMO to make more income is that right or did yeah. you did you change yeah. the ownership from you as an individual to a company or something how did you no, do that we, no we still haven't done that and because I own property with four different people yeah I'm going to end up having to sort of like incorporate in four individual names so I my see. My sister and I are talking about it at the moment and incorporation will happen with our properties. What we're doing with the others, I just need to sort out afterwards. Okay. So that's fascinating. So, so you had all these properties and some of them went from a single let to buy to let into uh, some four bed HMOs, which is called so maximise the income, which is brilliant. Um, yeah, so and then you, met, you mentioned uh, this is some supported living, assisted living housing route. So how did that change your tax position with some of those houses? Or was it more a case of uh, maximising the income to make your properties work harder? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. So for those three bedroom family homes, Hmm. that I was getting an income of 650 to 700 a month. Yeah. If I've converted them into a four-bed HMO and I've leased it to a social housing provider, they now are giving me an income of 11.25 a month. Gosh, so you're doubling your income from Almost. just converting the use. Yeah, obviously there's that, that whole element that you've got to spend the money to do the conversion because they've got to be HMO compliant. Right. But once that's paid back, and normally my payback period is about so between 24 and 30 months. Okay. The leases are usually for four years and will then get renewed for another four years. Once I've paid back all of that money that I've had to, to do the conversion, I'm into profit. Wow. That's wonderful. And I guess, again, we'll, I'll, you can tell me a bit more about this in a minute, but I guess also from a social housing or assisted living point of view, they're taking on some of those running costs too. But um, oh, no, no, all of the costs. Oh, it's an so absolutely cool. brilliant, brilliant, brilliant business model. <laughs> so well, this is another reason to see why I love you on this uh, podcast today, because uh, from a personal point of view, I haven't done anything with, with some of my houses and I'm thinking, great, I'm, I'm taking furious notes here. I'm going to be uh, maybe, well, we can have a chat now about uh, how that can happen. But before <laughs> I do that, if I may, uh, just if we, again, we, we just uh, shift a bit. So, so you, suddenly, you had two options with this increase in taxes. One is make your single X work harder by converting them into three-bed uh, or four-bed HMOs. And then the second thing was getting the, the social housing or assisted uh, living providers to take on the properties. So you mentioned that you are happy or you've had to convert those properties. What, what are some of the things you've done to convert them to make them HMO compliant, please? Fire doors, interlink smoke detectors, emergency lighting, window restrictors, making sure that all of you've got a protected fire route, exit mm. route, um, making sure that all the rooms comply with minimum room sizes. If you need to have um, fire escape windows upstairs, doing that. Um, okay. Basically, it's everything. If you want to have a house that you're going to use as an HMO, it's just making sure that you understand all of the legalities behind that. Sure. Okay, that's cool. And again, listeners on this podcast, uh, we, we've been going on obviously a lot. Our, our focus is primarily on HMOs. We talk a lot about fire safety and providing good quality rooms and making sure you're compliant. So, so many listeners will be will be very sort of um, uh, understanding of that. I, I was I was wondering if you were going to say I have to put in you know ensuite bathrooms, for example, to make it into uh, a property that's suitable for either no. a sort of social living or assisted living. No. That's the absolute beauty of it as a business model, because all you were doing is changing a three bedroom house into a four bedroom house and making it compliant. You only need one bathroom. The kitchen needs to be a minimum of seven square meters. The living room needs to be a minimum of 11 square meters. And the bedrooms only have to be six and a half square meters. Okay. So you haven't got to go down the route, which any of your listeners will know if they've got HMOs, most areas now want all singing, all dancing, mm. beautiful boutique 
st hotel style rooms with en suites, which yeah. we've got lots and lots of those that we manage. And we've got lots of investors that have invested in those. And they're probably the conversion cost that you're looking at 70, 80, 90,000. Yes. Fairly conservative figure. My conversion cost between 10 and 15. Wow, and that that's a game changer. And that includes all the furniture and the blinds and the flooring and the white goods mm. and all of the um, fire risk assessment you need to do and your gas certificate, your EICR, all of the certificates are normally getting in for sort of like 15K is probably sort of like top range. Cool. And your conversion time will probably only take three or four weeks. Okay. So again, very manageable. For someone who's listening or watching this podcast, you might have a three-bedroom house, for example, as a bike might be like you making 600 quid, for example, gross income from that to one person or, or one family. That could be a, a real option to, uh, to change that. So, so uh, with regards to planning, Sue, I mean, again, you're an expert in this stuff now. Do you have to change the, no. the planning category of a bike-to-let to do no. some social housing? No, because it's still C3. Is it? Um, wow. So the categorization, and this is a bit I can't remember, it's either c3b or okay. c3d and i can never remember which of those is the one that in includes the element of support or care and that's why it stays within c3 okay okay well we can look at that up and we can put that into show notes after this uh, anyway yeah. but that's good so at least it's c3 which is cool uh, what about from a mortgage point of view do you are you aware of any any restrictions or do do investors yeah. who come to you or existing landlords have to um, get special sort of dispensation, for example, from the mortgage company to provide this service in the houses? Absolutely. And there are very few lenders that lend. Okay. So there is the situation that you really need a switched on broker who understands about social housing, understands which lenders will accept which leases and can help you. If you try to do it generally under the mortgage that you've already got on your own property, you're probably going to be breaching your mortgage conditions. Okay. All right. Well, that's good to know. And is there a, is there a broker that you recommend people could go to um, speak to and find out about their own current situations? Yeah, absolutely. There's, I, I work with sort of like about four different brokers. And when I recommend to people, any brokers, I'll say, look, these are the four guys that I work with. Mm. Have a talk, have a chat to them yourself and see which one you want to work with because I think yeah. everybody gets on with different people in different ways. Um, and so I'd never really just want to say, go to one person because that's the person I get along with. You might speak to them and just feel actually, I don't resonate with this person. Sure. Yeah. Good um, advice. Good advice. We work a lot with a chap called Mark Champ from Wolf Financial who is brilliant. And we buy lots of HMOs and refurbish them and refinance them through, through uh, his contacts. But um, yeah, that's, that's cool. Any, any advice or tips, uh, I think it, it are a good thing. And as I mentioned, it's so important to go to people who know what they're talking about, who can advise you on the right lenders that fit their strategy. Yeah. So, uh, so this has been, this has been a, a bit of an eye opener for me. So thank you for sharing this with me, uh, let alone the rest of our listeners too. So with regards to the social housing side, you've shown how potentially simple it can be to convert something subject to obviously having the right lender, uh, change of use. It's still C3, but a slightly different subcategory there. Uh, the renovation costs are relatively modest compared to what you could spend and the time is relatively quick. So what, what, um, what, what, what happens with the providers? Have you got to go to a special provider, like a one-off company that does it for them and their, um, what would they be, customers, clients? Or Fine. are there organizations that organize multiple um, care providers in one go who can then manage the process for you? How does that work? I do, I do exactly that in Birmingham. So I work Oh, you organize them? Yeah, I, I, oh. I work with probably six or seven different social housing providers, which means that I know absolutely if somebody comes to me with a property in Birmingham and it is suitable to be converted and that is definitely what they want to do, while the house is going through the conversion, I will know by the time it is finished which provider is going to take it on. Right. So in Birmingham, it's a really simple, straightforward process. Mm. Um, it's more difficult if you wanted to do this for yourself in your own area, but it's doable. You just need to Google social housing provider, housing association, pick up the phone and make phone calls. 
to okay. see whether or not they will work with individual landlords who want to provide them with property. Right. And, and how does it work then, Sue? It, let's assume that someone comes to you and you help them to set this up and make that introduction. Um, what, what does it look like from a from an investor or landlord's point of view with that um, sort of contract that the social care provider um, signs with regards to the landlord? And, and what do they have to do for that or rather not do? I mean, is it completely hands off from an investor's point perfect. of view? Absolutely perfect. So we um, will set up the lease. Um, which is generally a four-year lease. It's a, as close to a fully repairing lease as you can get on a residential property, and they are responsible for paying all the bills. So your gas, water, electric, your Wi-Fi, TV license, council tax. So I always talk about it as being like a really like it's a hybrid model okay. because it is an HMO because you're going to have four, five, six, however many individual people living in the property, but you get paid as if it was a buy-to-let. So you get paid your rent every single month in full, regardless of whether they've got one person or six people living in the house, and they're going to pick up all the bills as well. And I see. I see. So if you're, it, it, let's just say, for example, you've got a, a five-bedroom property and you're currently renting out, a, I don't know, £400 a month, for example, as an existing HMO, making £2,000 gross income, for example. Uh, and, but then you've got to incur the cost of the bills and the council tax and everything else. What you're um, saying is, if the rent for a bike let in that area is six fifty, for example, then you'll get six fifty guaranteed for four years, and then no, no more costs. No, 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 no. You do the conversion. Yeah. You make it into that HMO. So you've said it's already a five bedroom HMO. Yeah. In Birmingham, you would get paid fourteen hundred pounds. Amazing. You see, I'm a bit slow, Sue, with the numbers. Um, thank you, thank you for, for clarifying that. <laughs> That's cool. I thought when you mentioned said a buy-to-let rate, it'll be a buy-to-let for the whole property. No, no, I'm just talking about it being a buy-to-let model, as in ah. you get paid rent once a month, guaranteed. Amazing. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, it is one of those things. But what I would say to you, if you want to do it in your own area... Dependent where it is that you're investing, you may need to put loads and loads and loads of legwork in to find mm. the provider to work with. So one of the guys who came on um, before lockdown, I was running every couple of months, I was running social housing seminars, which okay. were in room. Um, and one of the guys who came on the seminar that I did in October of last year, spent the next five or six months making phone calls and over the course of that time, he made between four and 500 phone calls wow. and got five providers that he can now work with. But he was absolutely adamant, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be able to do with my portfolio. When I buy a new property, I want to know who is going to take it from me, who's going to pay me guaranteed rent. So he put in that legwork. And it just makes me laugh because I'll have people ringing me up say, Sue, I've done what you've told me to and I've rung up people, but I can't find anyone. I'm like, okay, how many phone calls? 10. Right? <laughs> Probably because you've not put in enough legwork. You've got to get out there and do the work. Yeah. It's fascinating. What a great solution, especially if, if we're in a situation where the economy starts to, um, you know, let's just say going to decline a bit for a period of time, maybe two, three, four years, maybe. This could be a great stopgap or indeed a whole new strategy that someone can embrace and provide good quality housing for people who need it most in, in this sector. And the brilliant thing about this is all of those landlords who've been paid and have got leases with us for properties in and around Birmingham, every single one of them has been paid all of their rent in full mm. since the beginning of lockdown. We haven't had to worry about furlough. We haven't had to worry about people losing their jobs. So it's for some of those landlords, it's been an absolute godsend because okay. they've known that they are going to be getting in their rent regardless. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's great to know. And and so you mentioned obviously you're based in uh, Birmingham and you're you're helping people in Birmingham with this strategy. Do you go further afield? Do you cover things like you know Solihull or Coventry yeah. or further afield, or how does that work? Um, what I would probably say, so Junior Homes, which is my lettings business, we manage HMOs, we manage buy-to-lets, we manage social housing properties. We set it up as a hub 
so like with Birmingham and then we've mm. got the ring around Birmingham. So yeah, so Solihull, Coles Hill, um, Warsaw, Sandwell, Dudley, Wolverhampton, Redditch, Bromsgrove, Droitwich. So all of that sort of like ring around is the mm. area where we manage property. Okay. Wonderful. But, oh, that's, that's been really, really helpful. Thank you. Sorry, what were you going to say? I just interrupted you. But not all councils will engage to do social housing. So again, for, for me here, I know Solihull Council, if, so if somebody comes to me with a property in Solihull and I say, so I want to do social housing, it's like, I can't do it. Mm. Really sorry, but let's just look at how we can help you maximise your rental. Is it big enough to convert into an HMO? Have you got sufficient funds to be able to do that conversion and do the numbers stack up? Or do we just leave it as a family buy to let and work out what you need to do in terms of renovation? to be able to maximize the rental that you can get from it yeah yeah wonderful again it's that inside knowledge that you've got because you've been doing this for a while now to help advise other people so i strongly recommend anybody listening i mean so you mentioned uh, before lockdown you were doing regular seminars are you still doing those in lockdown or or in the current climate or what's happening with those no i've really put those all on hold because i just i couldn't get my head around being able to charge people to do a zoom meeting okay. um and I know that I should be able to, and um, I've got a meeting next week with my mentor, and a lot. we're going to go through a lot of this, about do I set up masterminds, how do I do what I really need to do? I, I'm still doing coaching on a one-to-one -one basis, and that's what I love. I absolutely yeah. love being able to help people invest in the right way, put all the right foundation building blocks in place, mm -hmm. make sure that they're going to do it properly from the beginning, because yeah. I think so many people they'll go out there, they do property education. Property education just talks like big picture and it doesn't really ever give anybody all of the like the nuts and bolts that they need. Mm. And I'll have people come to me, they start working with me and they go, right, I know where I want to invest. It's like, okay, and I can remember vividly one guy came to me, said, I want to invest in Liverpool. I went, okay, that's fine. Um, do you know if you're mortgageable? He went, well, yeah, I think so. I said, okay, have you spoken to a broker? No. Okay, so do you know how you want to buy your property? Are you buying in your own name? Are you buying through a limited company? Have you spoken to a property tax accountant to find out? He said no, but he was already going out viewing properties. Yeah. And then when we started to talk about a bit more about what research have you done about investing in Liverpool, he went, oh, well, I've done some like desktop research. Went, okay, have you actually spoken to anybody in Liverpool that can really give you the information. So, no. so we went through a whole long list of things that you needed to do. Mm. And then so like when we had our next meeting two weeks later, well, I don't want to invest in Liverpool anymore. It's funny, isn't it? People want, uh, people, uh, you know, watch a few YouTube videos or Facebook lives or join various property communities on online on social and, uh, and pick up enough uh, nuggets that that's enough to go and do it. And in some cases people will, you know, get some success there. But as you quite rightly say, you're never going to know the nuts and bolts until you actually do it, or you're being supported or trained by or helped with people who've got extensive experience like yourself, for example, in that chosen strategy or in that area. So that's interesting. I think what, to me, what's really important is that you get your foundations right mm. because you can then build on that. It's like building a house on sand, isn't it? If yeah. you build a house on sand, it's going to sink. And I think building a business is exactly the same. Yeah, I agree. And it's the bit that's not very sexy. It's a bit boring. It doesn't give you a very quick result. And it's not on Instagram posts or Facebook lives about how to do this. But it is the most important thing, especially if you're looking to do this over the medium to long term, like you've done. I mean, 42 properties is no mean feat. That's incredible. But you couldn't have done that unless you, as you said, built those strong foundations first. So, yeah. uh, so that's brilliant. So, Sue, so tell me about um, uh, Genie Homes. That's, you mentioned that's your letting agency. So did you create that for yourself and your sister and maybe your JD parts to manage your own portfolio? How did that come about? No, so I ended up working in lettings about 10 years ago. Okay. Um, the letting agent that I used at the time was a one-man band. And I'd just been doing some bits and pieces for self-employed work and Dad wasn't very happy that I didn't have a proper job. Yeah. Um, so dad talked to this letting agent and said, if you want to grow your business, Sue's really good at sales. Why don't you talk to her and why don't you start working together? Mm. 
which is what we did. And that was done on the proviso that I would be made a 50-50 partner in the business. Um, we grew the business to a certain extent. I brought loads and loads of new business in, but that partnership never happened. So then I set up my own letting agency uh, about five years ago. Okay. And then three years ago, I went into business um, with the other two directors in Genie Homes. We wanted to do HMOs. Um, and that's where we started, proper, I would say, really properly with good foundations mm. um, to grow the business. And in just over three years, we now manage about 400 HMO rooms. That's brilliant. Managing, uh, we manage about 100 properties that are used for social housing and we manage about 60 just straightforward buy-to-lets. So um, we've got eight members of staff. So over three years, it has grown hugely. Yeah. Um, and, Good and for that, you. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, that is some growth, isn't it? Thank you. It's, it's really weird. So I've grown my portfolio. When I think about what I do, I always talk to people about the fact that I do things slow and steady because it's taken me a long time to grow my portfolio to where it is today. But then other people, when they hear me talking about Genie Homes, are going, you don't do stuff that's slow and steady. Yeah. <laughs> rooms in three years and HMOs, plus a whole bunch of extra houses. That's, yeah. that's, that, that's quite fast. <laughs> What's that, 130, 130 HMO rooms per year for three years, plus other stuff on top. That's, that's some going, well done. Thank you. Um, but yeah, and then I self-manage all of my own properties. So um, yeah, that we don't put those into the uh, lettings business. Okay. I'm too tight. I don't want to pay VAT. <laughs> I was going to say, you've got, you, you, <laughs> you, that's funny, Sue, because you've created a really successful portfolio. You've got a really successful uh, lettings business. To do all those things, you're working with other people and you've got great systems in place. You've got to do all that work, but you don't want to put your properties in your own letting agency. That makes me laugh. I'm sorry. That's funny. <laughs> 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 oh dear that's cool i mean i must admit i love uh, lettings i think lettings as a business is brilliant it's recession proof in my opinion if you can specialize in um areas such as you know hmo for example that's not the norm the norm is obviously single lets and uh, if you can specialize that uh, in that area for example and build some extra strings to your bow and it doesn't just have to be rent to rent hmo which i hear people doing all the time um you've got the best of both worlds You've got fee income yeah. coming through for all your properties, you know, which is relatively straightforward to manage. You've got the right people like you have and systems, but you can then also diversify and do other things and get the income from a relatively small amount of work per property, um, which of course maximizes the return you get as your portfolio that you manage gets bigger. I just love it. I think lettings is, it is an incredible opportunity, but uh, maybe that's another podcast. Yeah. I was going to say to you though, managing HMOs is labor intensive. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to do it properly, it's definitely labour intensive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have a we have a lovely uh, woman we're working with. Uh, she's uh, she's only twenty three, and uh, she manages our, our our rent to HMO portfolios across uh, Bedford and Northampton. And we've got a great agency with a business partner up with us in in Coventry. And uh, it's all about those systems, Sue, isn't it? It's about systems. Make sure you're doing everything consistently. Make sure you're compliant. Doing your weekly yeah. house checks. But uh, again, it's a, it's a great, I think it's a great business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, cool. Now, one thing I definitely wanted to go back to, uh, Sue, I mean, I, I lo I've loved uh, speaking to you because you've got so many things or nuggets you're throwing out there, which I just, just think is fascinating. And you've done so much in, in, you know, in a relatively short space of time. But um, one thing you mentioned uh, a while back was about you and your sister um, sort of slow and methodically bought a few houses. And then in 2007, 2008, in the last recession that really took off so many people say we are either in a recession or we're right on the edge of another recession now which could of course impact uh, the uk economy the property market for who knows how long so what was it that you did in the last recession which might be beneficial for those people listening to this podcast or watching this on youtube right now who could maybe um, incorporate some of those learnings for themselves over the next two, three, four years. Have you got any sort of tips and suggestions on that, please? No, because I don't think we did anything special. We just bought a property, did it up and rented it. So to me, it was just really straightforward. We did, there wasn't a specific strategy that we went through. It was just a case of, is the property at the right price? How much are we going to have to spend to refurb it? What will it rent out at? And because you remember, this is before 
I did any networking before I went mm. to any, um, so I had any so like exposure to um, property education. So it was just down to how much is my mortgage? How much is my rent? Am I happy with that? Yeah, that works. Let's go and buy it. Okay, wonderful. What about raising money or finance? Or how did you how did you pay for the the things? How did you start buying more properties? Was that savings or income from other properties? Yeah, because I was one of those old fashioned people that thought the only way to buy property is to save money and to refinance, and that was what we did. Okay, that's great. So, in terms of um, marketing to attract those properties, how are you getting those properties? Anything you know interesting that you can share with our, our listeners, our subscribers on on maybe securing some of those deals in the last recession, or no, were they not many people buying apart from you guys? <laughs> No, because I was just like really, really boring. I'd go to an estate agent <laughs> and I had really good relationships with estate agents. Yeah. So I didn't know anything at all about direct vendor. I didn't know anything about marketing like that. So that's why I say it's really the way that we've built portfolio is in a very old fashioned way of doing it. But you say that, Sue, I think everybody listening who hasn't got 42 uh, houses themselves or hasn't got a letting agency with well over 500 you know, rooms or properties in the management would go, okay, I quite like slow and steady. That, that suits me quite yeah. nice. <laughs> well, one thing is lovely and refreshing, Sue, is the fact that um, sometimes I think people, property trainers and other companies, for example, almost overcomplicate the process of building up or buying property. It sounds like you've gone through the nice and steady and simple way of raising yeah. some finance, uh, finding a property at a estate agent, doing your numbers, buying it, renovating it, and renting it out. I mean, that's, that's pretty sort of vanilla, isn't it? Absolutely. I didn't know about this model called buy, refurb, refinance. Yeah. And it was like, so for all of, I, I didn't know about BMV, I was like, what's all that about then? <laughs> And I still really struggle to a degree about BMV because I always think the value of a property is what somebody is prepared to pay for it. Yeah. Unless you're in that position where you can buy a portfolio and you absolutely know that you are getting that at a discounted value. But most of the time, if you're going to go and buy a property, you know what the comparables are, yet you might get five grand knocked off if you're lucky if you buy it in birmingham that's never going to happen it's too hot a market at the moment but you still for me you're just buying at what is the market price for the house yeah um and i've, I've had long long conversations with adam lawrence who's one of my business partners in partners in property because adam is absolutely unless i can buy it at 50p in the pound i'm not interested in buying um yeah. but then he goes and invests in big portfolios. So there's a very, very different business model with what he does to what I do. Um, and I remember when I first met him a few years ago, I was like, Adam, there is no such thing as BMV. You're buying at whatever is the market value. And he's like, no, that's not right. We've had, we laugh <laughs> because we have diametrically, diametrically opposing views yeah. on buying property, but it, it works. It works. And I think that, that you, you've touched on a brilliant point there, which is everything in property works if you know what you're doing and you stick to a strategy and you have a plan. Um, whether you're trying to do BMV, buying portfolios or single at houses, you can yeah. make it work. And you are you know, perfect testament to the fact that if you know your numbers, know your area, buy a good deal that works for you, who cares what anyone else thinks of it, it works for you, and you do it consistently and do it regularly, you can build up a really sizable uh, portfolio and, of course, get the benefits of the income from that portfolio. So one thing I've been, I've been uh, sharing with our, our, our podcast uh, subscribers and listeners, listeners with quite a bit recently, Sue, um, is um, my view, and again, going forward in a number of years, is going to be, we're going to be in a difficult market. It's going to be a correction potentially in the marketplace in the UK. Um, and now is a perfect time to go and buy. So for those of you who have cash to invest in property, um, surround yourself with people who know what they're, you know, they're doing and can help and advise you, or go out and about and try and raise finance if you haven't got it yourself. Because I think those personally, I don't know what you think, I think those who've got access to cash over the next 6, 12, 18, 24 months are going to be in an incredibly strong position to go and buy properties, whatever the price they pay, BMV or otherwise, they're going to secure properties because there aren't going to be as many buyers out there. What do you think about that? Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. 
Um, I think very much that we're in a position, I don't know that we're going to get a crash in market prices and pro probably quarter two mm. next year, possibly quarter three. Um, because I think that's when we're going to see people have lost their jobs and unfortunately are not being able to pay mortgages and we're going to start to get repossessions. So I think that that is going to happen. Um, and I think, yeah, those people who've got cash, then I would absolutely say that sort of like cash is king and those will be the people that will be able to get out there and potentially get those really good deals. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Yeah, that's good. I, again, as I said, I share, I share your view. So again, if you need to have, uh, those of you listening, if you want to give us some feedback on that, if you want more information on how to raise finance, for example, if you haven't got it yourself, again, let us know. You can go, you can attract, you can go to us on our, our website and our Facebook page, the HMO Experience Property Podcast. Uh, check us out, put some, give us some feedback, uh, ask those questions and we'll create some more uh, content for you on that. So thank you, Sue. Um, you've also mentioned then uh, partners in property. So as I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, um, I, I forgive me, but I don't know enough about prop, uh, partners in property. So what is that? What's your involvement and, and what do you do with that business? Okay, so Adam, um, Lawrence and myself founded it back in 2017. Um, okay. We were given the opportunity to take over um, a network meeting that was already in existence. Mm -hmm. And the difference with it was it was a daytime meeting. Oh, okay. So it's attractive. It never had a big following, probably had something like 17, 20 people maximum that used to go. And the difference about, excuse me, my phone keeps ringing. Um, and the difference between it was because it was a daytime meeting, it actually meant that it attracted people who were already in property full time. Yeah. So it gets away from a lot of those meetings like PIN, like PPN and all of those mm. where you and we didn't want anything that was going to be a funnel so there's no upsell because I know I certainly found it when I go to um, pin meetings mm. they'd have a couple of really great speakers every meeting but actually the rest of the time was selling to you all the benefits of pin and it was yeah. just, sort of like mastermind so I just we didn't want that environment we wanted something where people who are in property full-time could talk to other people who are in property full-time because property can be quite lonely Mm. So we wanted to give people that option of coming together once a month with like-minded people. And in our first meeting, we had, so I think we had between 50 and 55 people there, um, which we were just absolutely sort of like blown away by. Yeah, it's a good number. The numbers pretty much then stayed fairly solid. Um, and before lockdown, we'd sort of like, we'd, we'd gone through a little bit of, uh, over that three years, we'd developed it more. So instead of it just being four hours we transformed into a full day. Okay. Um, so we'd have some, two speakers, uh, have lunch, and in the afternoon we'd do mastermind tables. Mm. So we'd have a host on each table that was an expert in whatever their table topic was for people then to be able to ask more questions. And we just sort of like just made that then into our full day event, which was great. And we launched in London, Manchester, Bristol and Southampton. Wow. Everything was going really well. And then, of course, we hit lockdown in March, sure. which changed everything, which means that we've gone online. We're still doing exactly the same as we were doing, but doing it online. We now sort of like including that then sort of like a fortnightly coffee meetup with your local members. Mm -hmm. But the good thing about going online is we've now got overseas investors. Wonderful. Okay. Because it's all done on Zoom, yeah. which would they'd have never been able to come to the in-person meetings. Sure. So, um, yeah, it's all, all good. It's got to, to um, where we want to be. And I'm really, really passionate about it because the generosity of our members in sharing their knowledge with other members is just phenomenal. They are so, so generous in wanting to help other people to progress and grow. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well done. I mean, again, how does someone find out about partners in property? Um, so what, how do they find you? How do they register to come and join you? Um, they could join us sort of like through our website, which is partners-property.com. Okay. Very simple. If they want to try us out for their first month, it's half price. So your first month is £20. It is membership. Um, and then sort of like from your second month, it's £40 a month. Um, one of the guys who joined us, probably um it was during lockdown so he's probably been a member now for about like eight seven eight months mm. 
new in property, doesn't yet own a property, but he said he's learned so much from the speakers, from the mastermind tables and everything else that we do. He said it's absolutely the best £10 a week that he spends. I can imagine. I mean, just imagine it. Imagine the, uh, the knowledge, experience and the brains around you to help advise and answer every single one of your questions. That's extraordinary. Okay, well, we'll put the links, of uh, Sue, into the show Thank notes you. of this episode. So that, that's cool. That's cool. Thank you. Um, Okie dokie. Now, um, tell me more about, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to wrap this up in a minute because you've been extraordinary. And, and I just want to thank you on behalf of myself and Matt and Steve. Uh, I know you're very modest, but you've been extraordinary sharing uh, some of your experience and your knowledge and, and your, your uh, some probably uh, learnings. And, uh, and you've done a hell of a lot. I know you don't necessarily, uh, the, the, you don't really sort of want to blow your own trumpet, but you've done a hell of a lot. And I think you should be congratulated for that. You're an experienced property investor and been doing it for a long time, so well done. But, uh, and now I have pre-warned you about these last three questions. Uh, so for those of you listening or already watch this on, on YouTube, I did send these three questions to Sue. And I did say with the proviso, you do not have to answer these at all. But it's just my way, in a bit of a silly way, a lighthearted way, to find out a bit more about Sue out of property. So, outside of property. <laughs> so, so, Sue, do you mind if I go through those questions? Is that okay with no, you? Of course. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, the first question is um, Sue, what uh, one thing or things have you changed your mind on recently? Um, I would probably say it's through lockdown. I discovered that I could actually be more patient than I thought okay. I could be because I had to queue. Now, I never went and stood in the long, long, long queues at supermarkets, but I did go and queue to go to the bakers um, because they always had a massive long queue outside the bakery that I went to. And I think that was one thing that definitely I would never, ever have said in the past that I was a patient person. <laughs> Okay, that's good to know. Thank you, Sue. Uh, okay, question number two. Good answer, by the way. Question number two. Uh, what uh, one absurd, uh, stupid or fun thing do you do in your spare time that you're happy to share? <laughs> I'm a really, really boring person and I don't really do anything. I suppose the, the one thing that people probably wouldn't sort of like think that I do is I play one of those computer games. What's it called? Candy Crush. Oh, okay. You're obsessed. No, I'm not obsessed, but and I'm not. I don't have to sit like play. But when I'm sort like sitting sometimes in front of the TV, I might just do that on my phone while I'm watching TV. I've never got into those things, but uh, I know many people who have. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. Um, and then last question, you'll be relieved to know. Last question is, uh, what what are you actually excited about right now, or maybe for 2021? What what's really sort of getting you going right now? Um. I'm going to be launching next year a mastermind to help people who want to um, invest in social housing, but to actually be the social housing provider mm. and to be helping the clients. Um, so I, I'm really excited about that. It's still in development at the moment. So you're probably sort of like the first person that I've told oh, wow. of my mentors and um, people that I'm world, working with on exclusive. it. <laughs> but that, that's something that, yeah, I am really excited about. I'm not surprised you. That sounds amazing. Well, can I ask you a massive favour, please? Once you are uh, ready to launch that and you're ready to go and you want to spread that out in the world, would you be kind enough to come and join me again on one of these uh, podcast interviews? Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Okay, Thank you. cool. No, so it's been great. As I mentioned, I've really enjoyed speaking to you and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing about your yeah, what, what you're going to be launching in the new year with your mastermind too. So that's really cool. But as I said, it, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you, Sue. And uh, I think um, I think there's loads of nuggets of useful information and inspiration that you've given to our listeners and our subscribers too. So I really appreciate that. Um, is there anything you want to share with our audience before we wrap this up or are you all good? I think I've probably shared lots of stuff. <laughs> but I'm more than happy if anybody wants to contact me and I can help anybody in any way, then I'll do my best to do that. Great. Okay, thank you, Sue. As I said, we'll put all your contact details uh, and the links to Partners in Property, for example, and Genie Homes in the show notes. Uh, so people can uh, obviously go and uh, check you out there and get in contact with you and your businesses anyway. So that's been wonderful. So on behalf of, us, my heart, on behalf of myself and uh, Matt and Steve, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And it's been a good, fun um, interview. How was it for you? Was it okay? Yeah, good. No, I enjoyed it. Okay. I, cool. Jeremy, I, I always like talking. <laughs> I knew that. That's good. That's why you made a great, that's why you made a great podcast uh, guest anyway. All right, Sue. So, well, listen, uh, lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you. And uh, for those of you who 
have, have enjoyed this episode, please could you uh, sort of rate and subscribe and give us some feedback in all the usual places, our website, of course, our Facebook page. And if you want to subscribe to, again, our channels, go to normal podcast provider, subscribe, and also give us some feedback. What else do you want us to cover? We've got great plans for uh, the next uh, year. And um, if you want us to cover content specifically, such as social housing with Sue in the new year, then again, we'd love to uh, hear from you and we'll provide that for you anyway. But on behalf of myself, and the rest of the HMO Property Podcast team. Uh, You've all been amazing. Thank you for listening and watching, and we'll see you all again next time. Thanks for listening, guys. Really appreciate you tuning in. Before you head off, I'd like to ask you to do three things. The first thing is head over to Amazon and buy the HMO Blueprint, which is Jamie's new book, That was published on the 26th of October. You can find the link in the show description. The second thing is, whatever podcast platform you're listening to right now, make sure you hit the subscribe button so that you get weekly notifications as to when new episodes of the podcast drop. And the third thing is, head over to the HMO Experience Property Podcast Facebook page. Make sure you click that like button so that you get notified when we drop bonus content such as the HMO Diaries and the Friday Finance Takeover. That's it. See you next week.